0: Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast. The season is fast approaching, only two months out as of today. And with that, Alex, comes the release of the New York Knicks schedule.
1: Yeah, and we're going to break down some of the key dates, some tough stretches for the Knicks, why the opening season could be one of the, uh, the opening month or so of the season could be one of the defining stretches for the Knicks and more coming up next on Locked On Knicks. You are locked on Knicks your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
0: every day.
1: And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now.
0: Starks, without a five,
1: Ewing for the land, yes! Hubs left, now fires a three, he's good,
0: and he's fouled! Anthony for three! you are locked on nixon today's episode is brought to you by betonline.net betonline.net has you covered more props odds and lines than ever before bet online it's where the game starts and we wanted to thank you for making lockdown Knicks your first listen today and every day uh we are now available on all platforms and that includes if you see our always smiling faces, even bright and early in the morning, on YouTube. And for your second listen, uh, Alex, I've been been spreading the love all around the Locked On podcast network. I was on Locked On Sooners this week, which uh, I think no one will care about who is listening to this. But if if there's one college football fan out there, go check that out. Uh, But more relevant, uh, I was on Locked On NBA the other night uh, doing some league pass rankings, ranking the 10 teams I was most excited to watch. I, I, I threw the caveat out there, if the Knicks trade Julius Randle, or for Donovan Mitchell, uh, they would they would make the list. But alas, uh, trying not to be a homer, I kept them off. But Alex, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to watch the Knicks because they have 82 games scheduled, an exciting first 18-game stretch, some big games in the NBA's new rivalry week. Uh, what, what were your first takeaways to the release of the Knicks schedule?
1: I think the first big thing was, like, remember last year, I felt like we had such definitive – Thoughts about the schedule, like right away, like we we're like, oh, they got to come out real strong because you know the the opening to the schedule is not super hard, and then we we're like, oh, and here's this like this like hell stretch, and I think it was like February last year, which of course that was when we ultimately saw the Knicks sort of fall apart at the seams last year after sort of hanging around at like 500 for the first 40 or so games of the year, they really came unraveled in uh, in the new year this year, so. I mean, things did sort of come to fruition the way we thought last year, where they didn't take advantage of the cushy schedule early and then really fell apart once things got tough. This year, I look at the schedule and, like, there's one stretch that I would consider tough um, where they it starts with – and, I mean, we'll, we'll note in a second, too, they, they start their season with a lot of road games. Um, but the stretch that really stands out to me – starts on november 15th and ends on december 7th um they play five straight games on the road starting at at utah on uh the 15th which of course if a mitchell trade hasn't gone down by then that has the potential to be like donovan mitchell just like torching the knicks in an effort to be like get this trade done like you know passive aggressively like roasting his new team uh or his potential new team then they go at Denver, at Golden State, at Phoenix, and then on a back to back at Oklahoma City, which, you know, Oklahoma City, in theory, not a threatening team, but on the second game of a back to back, on the road still, um, after all those other games, maybe one that could be sort of a trap game for the Knicks, if you can even call anything a trap game. Like, I don't know if after last year we can come into this season with any sort of expectations like we did last year about like, oh, I think some of these games are must-wins for the Knicks. I think they're back to the stage where they have to prove that you could consider games a must-win again. Uh, Then after that, they have Portland and Memphis at home. Then they have Detroit on the road, which isn't that big of a deal, but then on a back-to-back have Milwaukee the next day uh, on November 30th. And then December 3rd, 4th, and 7th, they have Dallas, Cleveland, and Atlanta. All at home, including that Dallas game is a matinee, which typically don't treat the Knicks super well. Uh, So, yeah, I I think that's probably the only stretch that I looked at and thought, oh, this is rough for the Knicks. Other than that, you know, there's, I guess, one other like five game stretch uh, towards the end of December where, you know, that that bleeds in with the Christmas game as well, where you get Golden State, Toronto on a back to back at home and then Chicago, and then Philly, and then at Dallas uh, to sort of close out the the year. But beyond that, I don't know, Gavin, I feel like it just sort of speaks to the overall parity of the league right now, where I just kind of look at the schedule and I'm like, there's no, I mean, there's no stretches against all really bad teams. And there's no stretches against all really good teams. They're kind of just, they just have a schedule. Where they yeah. play, a, where they play everybody, and they're going to have to just bring it every night.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where they can they can beat pretty much everybody, and they can lose to pretty much everybody. That was I, I had a similar reaction. Um, Jonathan Macri and his his uh, newsletter noted those first eighteen games, and and he came out saying, yeah, they w- they would be lucky to come out of that like something like um like eight and ten basically because they start. I, I really think the tone could be set in that first game against Memphis. You win that, and then you get Detroit, Orlando, Charlotte. That's a fantastic opportunity to build some momentum because I think by the end of the season, all those those three teams, particularly Detroit and Orlando, are going to be pretty decent. Just when um, like Ivy and Duran get acclimated around Cade, and for Orlando, when when Palo has his footing, and, and Franz, I think, is a guy who. By the all-star break, he will be in an all-star conversation. I, I think he's that good of a player, but early in the season is, is a pretty golden chance to win those games. And it's both good and bad for the Knicks because if this is a team again that has playoff aspirations, particularly playoff aspirations when they don't have to survive a play-in to get into the playoffs, like those are the kind of games that's that are crucial to build a little bit of a cushion early on. So I think whatever happens, you have to go three and one. In those first four games, and that sounds melodramatic. Because look, we're talking about a team that started last year what five and two, and obviously it didn't it didn't end all that well. But just going from that point, you look at how tough it's going to get. You go at Milwaukee, at Cleveland. Those are just I mean, to win in Milwaukee, I, I think the Knicks did it last year. But that is just you're, you're basically counting on an injury for the Bucks. I think the Cavs are just. We were talking about this on on the Lockdown On NBA Pod yesterday. They're just going to be super duper deep this year with Sexton back, with Rubio back. I think LeVert, um, like two years removed from from having cancer, is, is probably going to be as healthy as he's been in a long time, feeling as good as he has in a long time. Um, Mobley a year better, Allen a year better, Garland a year better. I think the Cavs could low key be like a, a kind of a dark horse contender to finish top four in the East. Um, Atlanta, like not only do you have the Trey Young thing, but now you have. DeJounte Murray, who, who has made it clear over the summer, he just likes to torture people on the basketball court. Then you have to go at Boston and then at Minnesota. So that Philly-Boston-Minnesota is a three-game in four-night stretch. Then you're going at Brooklyn. Who knows what that's going to be? You get a little bit of a, a respite with the uh, Detroit and OKC at home. But then you pop to the road. You see that Utah game. Whether you have Mitchell, even if Mitchell's been traded to the Knicks, that game is going to be very emotional, a lot of melodrama. You know, the Jazz, I think, are going to be trying harder to win that game than any in, in, in the early part of the year, given that they're probably not going to make the playoffs, probably any the whole year. Then you got at Denver, at Golden State, and you finish off back-to-back at Phoenix, at OKC. I, I Even if they're not a playoff team, I hate playing a young, talented team at the end of a five-game road trip on a back-to-back that is, um, I I know you said, you're right, because they, on paper, have at least as much, if not more talent than the Knicks. You can't call it a trap game, but that is a game I just kind of flat out think the Knicks are going to lose. So all in all, 11 of those first 18 games, Alex, are on the road, and all the road games outside of the OKC game are against teams that made the playoffs last year. So that's just just a daunting way to start the season for the New York Knicks.
1: Yeah, and I I guess maybe you could argue that it's good to get that out of the way early. Like, instead of last year where it was, oh, you have to come out strong, like now you can talk yourself into being like four or five games under 500 after the first 20 games or so because it's like, well, it's a really tough stretch. So you get more home games, more opportunities to, to make things right later in the season this year versus last year where it was like, no, you pretty much got to be sitting at like 10 games over 500 by the All-Star break or else you're kind of screwed here. Um, so yeah, there's more to talk about though, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk about more about the schedule, including the placements of the Utah games strokes, beard, uh, you know, ponderingly. Uh, but first I just gotta let everybody know, uh, that this episode is brought to you by the NHTSA and you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. All those sound pretty bad, especially towards the end. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. I think it's time to find the way to shoehorn Donovan Mitchell into our show, uh, as we always do. So uh, I think that the time to do that is with pointing out the Utah games here. Uh, so the first Utah game, uh, so they they play Utah twice as usual, uh, which is is not something to write home about because they play every team in the NBA at least twice. Uh, but they play the placements are a little interesting. Uh, with how the league decided to schedule the Knicks versus Utah. The first one at Utah is on Tuesday, November 15th, so pretty early in the season. That actually starts, again, that, that first big road trip that the Knicks have going on. And then the second one, now I, I looked for what the actual date of the trade deadline is, and I couldn't find it, um, but this has to be within a day or two of the trade deadline. Uh, Saturday... February 11th, which is a week before the All-Star break. And generally, I think, would be right after the trade deadline, maybe like a couple days after. Um, So it might not even be Mitchell's first game if he would get traded at the deadline to the Knicks because it is the second game of a back-to-back after playing at Philly on February 10th. But uh, February 11th, it's a Saturday game, 7.30 versus Utah at home. That has Donovan Mitchell written all over it. Gavin, my question to you is, what does the league know about what's going
0: on here? Uh, clearly, they. Uh, my main takeaway from this is that Donovan Mitchell, or no, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Utah, not very appealing to be on national TV this year. Only, to your point, only one scheduled on national TV. But the timing, they they, they basically left open the possibility that I especially with that first game, like, all right, I mean, this is going to be melodramatic either way. Either he's on the Knicks, or to your point, he's not yet on the Knicks, and there and there's all these weird tensions going on in the building. I, I'm an advocate that either pregame or at halftime we get a, a Danny Ainge, leon Rose boxing match uh, <laughs> to the point of our, our guy Anxious and One, who, who's, who's striving to have that uh, mixed into basketball. I think I think that would be a good way to break down the tensions. But I I would say it all, all it indicates to me is they're not sure. If he's gonna be on the roster or not. I, I don't think it says anything definitive. Yeah, I, I
1: sort of feel similar. Like, I don't think that the league necessarily has like the inside track on like this is when a Donovan Mitchell trade's gonna go down. I will say the timings are interesting though. Like, because if if this does spill into the regular season, this trade saga, and you get to that November 15th game, that means that you've now gone a month and a half, including, like, training camp and preseason, where uh the, you know, like, the Knicks and Jazz have not come to the deal. So it definitely, as I said before, like, as far as that being the first game of, like, a stretch that I consider pretty dangerous for the Knicks, like, that game would be dangerous more so if Donovan Mitchell is on the Knicks because it's, like, although it's dangerous either way because if he's on the Knicks, then he's... I, I think I said that backwards. If he's on the Jazz, it's dangerous for the Knicks, but it's also dangerous if he's on the Knicks. Because if he's on the Knicks, then it's a trap game because they'd be favored to win by like a wide margin then. And if they lose that game, then they're going to get like just nationally clowned uh, for probably a full week after that, probably the whole rest of that road trip. But then. You know, if he's not on the Knicks, then you have this heavy possibility of him wanting to go crazy against the Knicks to prove that he should be on the Knicks and that the Knicks should p- finally pull the trigger on this trade to get him to his home state, to his home, uh, his hometown team, to everything else. So I don't know. It's it, I just think it's curious. It, it, the real the real thing would be if they had scheduled like like game one versus Utah or something. Then it would be like, oh, okay, now. Now, I think maybe they know something, you know, that this is definitely going because they would want this to be like an opening weekend, like, you know, marquee matchup kind of thing. So I don't think that that's the case. I don't think there's any sort of inside intel here other than like, I do think putting that game around the trade deadline regardless guarantees that it'll be interesting because, you know, if the Knicks are not doing well at that point then, or like not doing as well as expected. And they've had Donovan Mitchell for a while uh for the whole first part of the season. Then there'll be intrigue around like, Oh, are the Knicks going to make another move to surround Donovan Mitchell with more talent or whatever at the trade deadline. And then, you know, how's he going to fare against Utah's former team and blah, blah, blah. Whereas like, if they haven't gotten Mitchell yet, then obviously there's the, the intrigue of like, Oh, well, like, will they trade for Donovan Mitchell? before this game against Utah? Or will this be like Donovan Mitchell visiting Madison Square Garden as a visiting player again, having just passed a trade deadline where after putting in a soft trade request, still has not gotten his wish to come to New York yet. Um, so it's it, it's intriguing either way to me as far as that goes. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know if I'd necessarily glean anything from this that's like the league definitely knows something. As much as it would be fun – to be able to take that sort of thing out of this, I just don't think that's the case.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I want to live in a world where Lex Luthor, or I was going to say Adam Silver is a Lex Luthor style supervillain too, but I don't, I don't know. He looks him. enough
1: like him to be yeah. honest. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, I was going to say if the Knicks do want to pin some villainy on Adam Silver, an interesting stat from uh, Ed Kupfer – Ed Cooper, not sure uh, on Twitter. Um, he, he he put together a graphic, um, and I can if I, if I remember we could put this in the episode description, uh, which is the number of days when teams have more rest than a op- than their opponent. The Knicks have the least amount in the entire NBA. So for context, the Knicks I'm going to do some quick counting here: two, four, six, eight, ten. I got about twelve for the Knicks. They have the least. Sacramento has somewhere around like double that, like close to like 21, 22. So that's pretty glaring, and I wonder if. There's certain advantages that the Knicks have that I'm just missing that the NBA put in to uh, compensate for that. But that that is uh, a pretty glaring stat in terms of the Knicks getting back to the playoffs. I mean, we, we've we all like looked at the numbers over the year. We've seen how significant of a role rest plays in terms of how well you actually play. Um, the one thing the Knicks have going for them, obviously, is health pending. They should be one of the deeper teams in the NBA. They should have one of the best benches in the NBA. But again, you, you kind of circle back to Tom Thibodeau there. When you, uh, when you talk about something like that and you're like, all right, but the guy, he actually has to be willing to not play R.J. Barrett 40 minutes every single night. He has to be willing to, uh, if Derrick Rose is, is really cooking, to not keep him on the floor for over 30 minutes in back-to-back games. Um, He has to be willing to uh, hopefully give Obi Toppin um, on on the occasional back-to-back a a 28-minute night and give Julius a little bit of rest. I mean, obviously, we hope, yeah, we'd always give Julius a little bit of rest, but uh, I don't know if we live in that world quite yet. Alex, I want to get into two final stretches of the schedule, right? Because I think there's one from January 11th to approximately, uh, I'll say February 24th, where the Knicks, I know that's that's a lot of basketball, but I, I think the Knicks, if they are down in the playoff race, can make up significant ground there. And I want to come back and talk a little bit about the end of the season because to me that's that's what it's going to come down to in terms of the Knicks making the playoffs or not making the playoffs. But first, if you want to bet on how the schedule will affect the Knicks' finish and where they will finish... is the fastest and easiest way to do so and check on all your betting needs you can find all your favorite sports events at the number one online source for odds lines and games you can find reviews and news of every league including major league baseball nfl nba nhl combat sports esports and even golf that online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts they have you covered they even have odds on where Bronny james ends up playing college basketball. The early favorite is UCLA. So you can head to Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. All right, Alex, I want to highlight two crucial stretches in the second half of the season for the New York Knicks. Starting on January 11th, I feel like the Knicks have a very manageable schedule for the following five weeks. They have Indiana at home, at Washington, at Detroit, Toronto at home, Washington at home, at Atlanta, at Toronto, Cleveland at home, at Boston. So that's where it picks up a little bit. But then you get a nice little break. At Brooklyn, Lakers at home, Miami, Clippers, Philly, a little tougher again. But then at Orlando, at Philly, Utah, Brooklyn, at Atlanta, at Washington. That is an approximately 16-game stretch where I think it's very reasonable, especially in a world where they have Donovan Mitchell, but even if they don't, the New York Knicks could go 10-6, 11-5. We talk about that early season stretch and say – Man, if they can just find a way to go, I would take like nine and nine and um, eight and ten, seven and eleven wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. If they can just hold on there, I think they do have some some stretches here where they can make up some of that ground.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, maybe that is like the "quote unquote" easy stretch of the season. The only thing I think that holds it back a bit is that you just are, are bouncing so much between home and road games, you know, yeah. like, that. I, I don't think the Knicks ever really get, like, a a good, solid home stretch of games because every time that they get, a, 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 you know, a consistent homestand, there's just, like, tough opponents, <laughs> you know, it's like they didn't get any, any gimmies at home, you know, everything is, those games are all spread out, you know, there's no, like, three-game stretch where it's like, oh, all right, they get three games at home with a day of rest in between each game, and it's against, like, OKC, Detroit, and, like, the Magic or whatever. Um, or, like, Indiana or, or some other team that, you know, doesn't presume to be a, a good team this year. Like, all of their big home stretches, there's the one that was during the, uh, the tough stretch that I had mentioned, which is Milwaukee, Dallas, Cleveland, Atlanta, uh, all in a row at home, which that's not an easy stretch. Then there's the other stretch in December that I highlighted, which is Golden State, Toronto, Chicago, Philly then the only other stretches that they have that are three games or more at home in a row would be during the stretch you just mentioned where they have the Lakers, Miami, the Clippers, and Philly, which the Lakers, who knows? But if they are if they manage to move Russell Westbrook, maybe in a trade with the Knicks and the Jazz for Donovan Mitchell, uh, where they sort of take the extra pieces there and send a little extra compensation to the Jazz, which we've been talking about for a while, Maybe the Lakers look better than they did last year, in which case Lakers-Miami, Clippers-Philly is not great. And also LeBron just always brings his A game to the garden anyway. And then the only other stretch you have is is three games uh, at the end of February, beginning of March, uh, versus New Orleans, Boston, and Brooklyn. And again, it's like New Orleans is going to be, uh, you would assume – better this year than last year with Zion Williamson coming back. And, you know, they did, even though, as we pointed out a few times on this podcast, they did have a worse record than the Knicks last year uh, and happened to win the play in, but, you know, getting Zion back and, and then, you know, being able to take what you did last year with a pretty promising young core and, and build on it. I mean, they, they could potentially be good by that point, potentially in the playoff picture for real, Uh, By the end of February and then Boston obviously defending Eastern Conference champions, Brooklyn, I guess maybe there's a chance that they could not be so good by then depending on how things shake down with the KD Kyrie saga but there's just no there's no respite for the Knicks here like no easy stretch where they can just sort of be like all right, just it's like they're not allowed to like work for the weekend at all (laughs) this season you know where they're just like, okay, like things are gonna be tough now but don't worry you know on whatever date things are going to get easier for us there's just no no time when that happens that said though as you said you know even if it's on the road there there are some games i think during that stretch where things could be things could be a little better for them you know like the indiana washington detroit stretch at the beginning of that stretch where you're going from uh january 11th to 15th that those are definitely winnable games that could sort of jump start them and I think the most important thing with with those January games will be figuring out where the team is at going into the trade deadline. Because I feel like almost every single year with the Knicks, it's like <laughs> things always resolve themselves right after the trade deadline every year. Yeah. And, and it's always really frustrating. Where like last year, you know, we were saying and other people were saying like, the Knicks should probably look to sell at the trade deadline here. And then they didn't. And they held on to hope because they were still hanging out at around five hundred, and that was and, right
0: after the uh, Julius insane stretch of play.
1: Yes, like Julius turned it on like right before the trade deadline, and then turned it all the way off. Like turned in it retrospect,
0: it seems like he was just screwing with the Knicks. It, <laughs> it almost it? does, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Like he turned it to eleven, and then turned it all the way down to zero after the trade deadline. You yeah. know, and and so I feel like we we're always finding ourselves in these situations where we don't know who the Knicks actually are and what they're capable of by the trade deadline. So I hope that this stretch where you get like Indiana, Washington, Detroit, and then you have to face Toronto a couple times, but you also get Washington again. You get Atlanta, Cleveland, who's not like cream of the crop, but is good, obviously, uh, Boston, Brooklyn, and then that stretch I mentioned with the Lakers, Miami, Clippers, and Philly, uh, and then Orlando and Philly on the road, taking you up to right around the – the trade deadline there, um, depending on what the actual date is. Like I hopefully we'll have an idea of like, if the Knicks go into 2023 and like totally blow chunks, hopefully then they can again, you know, take an assessment and actually maybe do something at the deadline this year, rather than doing it how they did. Cause who knows if they had decided to deal Alec Burks at the deadline last year, I mean, it didn't really cost them much of anything to get off of him. When it came time to this off season. but last trade deadline, I think there was a very real shot that you could have netted positive value for him rather than having to sort of lump him with Nerlens Noel and just be like, "Here's a couple protected second round picks to, you know, offload him to Detroit." So, you know, hopefully they do a little better job of of assessing the roster and assessing the situation this year than they did last year because that was definitely a frustrating point of an overall frustrating season last year to see the Knicks like pick themselves and and julius to your point pick themselves up a bit right before the trade deadline and then immediately afterwards just completely just do terrible for the rest of the year so hopefully hopefully things are a little more clear this year
0: yeah and as we've said a million times we were robbed of a 25 game stretch of emmanuel quickly playing 30 minutes a night instead of a three game stretch of him doing that and, and we're sort of left all off season asking what do we have with this guy but that is neither here nor there to me so much of this, because I mean, to your point, that that schedule where your your tougher games are are, um, excuse me, your tougher games are your tougher opponents are at home, your less tough opponents are on the road. That lends itself to a lot of close games for a Knicks team that has a tendency to play a lot of close games already. And the big swing from last year from uh, by last year's, I mean, the twenty twenty one Knicks to the 21-22 Knicks was how they played in the clutch. They were third in clutch net rating um, in that magical twenty twenty one season. And then they fell all the way back to 30th. And, and to me, the big swing there is having Derrick Rose back to play in those minutes. Who's last year so often, especially in the second half of that season, it was Alec Burks being tasked with, with running point. We, we saw how that went over and over again, where teams would take away his, the three-point shot. He would try and get into the lane, and he would either make a bad decision or botch a layup, as, as he was prone to do, about as badly as anyone in the NBA this year, having Rose and or Brunson running things or a Rose and Brunson together running things in those situations and having a much steadier hand there, I think that will make a pretty dramatic difference for the Knicks in Clutch situations. Of course, maybe none of it matters if Julius is, is still went from like the best shooting power forward in the NBA to one of the worst shooting power forwards in the NBA. Obviously, that's a pretty big swing factor as well. But that's that's kind of what I fixate on when I see like, all right, they're just going to be playing a ton of close games all season long. Um, and I think where that really is relevant is the final 10 games of the season. So we look, they get Minnesota at home on March 20th, then at Miami, at Orlando, Houston at home, Miami at home, at Cleveland, Washington, Indiana, at New Orleans, Indiana. And I have a feeling the Knicks are going to be in a position where they're going to have to go just to get up to the seventh or eight. They're going to have to go something like seven and three or eight and two in those games. They go five and five, maybe just to make the play and be I think it's going to be a really tightly bunched Eastern conference. Um, I think they're going to be very capable of doing that. I'm just, I'm curious about those first seven games. Because if you get into the final three, that Pacers team is desperately, blatantly going to be tanking at that point. They're going to be doing everything possible to try and get up to win Benyama. So that is a guaranteed two wins in the final three games, unless something goes horrifically wrong for the New York Knicks. And that, that could be what pushes them over, but they just have to get there with the chance. Anyways, Alex, I think that, that's as much as we can talk about with this next schedule, man. It's, it's 82 games. We only know so much at this point, but it's exciting. Officially two months out from the start of the NBA season as of today, I'm hyped. I'm ready for the Knicks to be back, and it'll, it'll come a little sooner than we think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's right around the corner, and we'll, of course, have all the podcasts for you guys leading up to it. Uh, more on the Mitchell saga. <laughs> as it continues the saga that never ends it's funny it's only been going on for like a month it already feels like it's been never ending With years yeah years and years and years uh in a league that normally moves in in, at the speed of someone sends a tweet and says so-and-so is interested in so-and-so player and the deal's done three hours later um anyway this has been locked on nicks thank you all for listening We will talk to you all soon. We have uh, some more episodes coming for you guys next week and beyond, of course. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for those. But until next time, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out.